7.34. You've no doubt been aware that uh, there's been a lot of concern here about other countries imposing travel restrictions. In the last few days, the United Nations Human Rights Council's high-level meeting this week even saw Foreign Minister Kang Kyung-hwa describe Israel's recent entry ban on South Koreans as excessive. We know that she appealed to Japan to be... Cautious. Uh, what we heard just a few minutes ago was that Tokyo has imposed restrictions, but only on those in those areas affected, like Daegu and, and Chongdo areas. Uh, and with more than a dozen countries imposing entry restrictions against visitors from South Korea, let's address this from legal and human rights perspectives. We have on the line Rujin Habibi, an international consultant at UNAIDS, lawyer and research fellow at Global Strategy Lab who specialises in global health law, governance and justice. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. So as this situation becomes something like normality over weeks and potentially months, uh, more of us have to get used to the idea that the world has changed, at least temporarily, including where we can travel, where we can't travel more appropriately. Can you tell us uh, about the the international health regulations and and the restrictions, how they tie in with that? Yeah, absolutely. So the international health regulations um, were basically this legal instrument um, that became adopted in 2007 um, in response to actually SARS. Um, So this was uh, uh, the experience that the world had with SARS. Uh, We decided as a collective, as a world, that we needed to come together and um, uh, uh, negotiate a new international legal instrument in terms of for in order to help the world better respond to disease outbreaks. So the international health regulation um, is uh, a legal instrument that attempts to strike a delicate balance between what countries can measures countries can take to protect themselves when there is a disease outbreak versus not taking measures that unduly affect or hurt the countries that are being that are actually dealing with the outbreak. Um, on the ground. So that's the, that's the delicate balance that the international health regulations aims to strike. Um, and then travel restrictions and ad- other additional health measures like quarantine and um, like uh, entry bans and um, various other measures that countries can take, those are all governed as well um, by the international health regulations. So, as I said before, with more than a dozen countries imposing entry restrictions, one of the latest in the last few hours, it's reported the Philippines has imposed a blanket travel ban on Filipino tourists going to South Korea. The Philippines being an important provider of uh, tourism and and general uh, growing trade between the countries. It's of of concern financially. A lot of people are struggling already with the loss of business. Mm -hmm. At what point does it become excessive for certain countries to impose mm-hmm. blanket bans and others not to impose restrictions at all or just to just to be more cautious as people travel through their departure and arrival gates. Yeah, absolutely. It um it, a lot of uh, experts are starting to say that we've seen a turning point um in in terms of traject- the trajectory of coronavirus and we're not going to see it stop at any um anytime soon. Um and so countries have to turn their attentions away from containment or isolation from one another um, towards mitigation. Um, and the, the travel restrictions that countries are imposing right now um, are excessive in light of the spread of this and the fact that it's been now in every single continent of the world except for Antarctica. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's very troubling. Yeah, so we, we've seen um, 
other countries, just to be clear, Bahrain, Jordan, Kiribati, Samoa, American Samoa, also banning the entry of Koreans and foreigners who visited Korea in the past 14 days. Um, Macau and Qatar raising travel restrictions on Korea, joining Brunei, Britain, Mm -hmm. Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, Oman, Ethiopia and Uganda, who have basically imposed self-quarantine or more Mm -hmm. stringent health checks on Korean travellers or those who visited South Korea recently. That's pretty close to home for me because let's say I had to go to Britain urgently for some reason. There was some very important family emergency. I would be uh, restricted from basically doing anything in Britain for a couple of weeks. Is that a problem at a human rights level or legal level, even if I can prove that I'm not infected with COVID-19? Yeah, well, I think uh, the international health regulations uh, have for additional health, uh, additional health measures that countries take, they have to, they have to take, uh, respond to three criteria. And those three criteria are, criteria are that they are... Um, they are scientific and evidence-based, that they are human rights-oriented, and they're also uh, um, commensurate with public health risks. That's proportionate to the public health risk. Um, And also that they are the least restrictive measure that achieve the appropriate health protection. And at this point, um, those those measures are not going to work anymore. Um, So it's, yeah, it's not going to, yeah. Go on. Well, I was going to ask, in terms of, knowing that and actually it making a difference presumably legally it takes yeah. quite a long time to appeal these things and uh it's going to be more of diplomatic relevance than legal relevance in the immediate term which doesn't really help people who have yes. urgent travel business yeah. yeah no absolutely um and that's one of the weaknesses of the international health regulations um is that they don't have strong enforcement measures so when countries impose these travel restrictions and travel bans, they have to report to the WHO, the World Health Organization, within 48 hours of doing so. Um, this allows the World Health Organization to to know better, have a better understanding of the legal landscape and how countries are responding, and also to make pull some diplomatic threads if it needs to, so that countries kind of repeal or change. Um, because obviously the WHO has the experts you know, who are monitoring this and who give advice to any country that's looking for it as to what they can really do to stop this virus. Um, the, you know, at, at this stage, the entry bans and, all, and, and the, the, all of that needs to be reported to the WHO. I'm not sure if it is being done so. That's not something that needs to be publicly reported. And so that's one of the shortcomings of the international health regulations, unfortunately. Um, and you're and you're completely um, on point that it it's going to you know as we see this this virus unfold where and it's going to come at a global at a global very fast pace globally. Um, well, you know the economic implications of all of that, especially China being one of the world's greatest economic powers, being hindered by it, um, and and Asia being obviously linked to China's economy. Um, at some point, those responses are going to seem very counterproductive. Um, and just yeah. again, another legal question that's very relevant for at least some Koreans, as Mauritius is a famous yeah. honeymoon destination for people around the world, yeah. but yeah. it's become something of a nightmare for newlywed couples. Yeah. Frankly, put a lot of pressure on their young relationships in some cases, as the government's reportedly taken away passports of, of some of them and, and quarantined them in a f- separate facility. Yeah. Is, is that even possible legally <laughs> to do that? It's not. It, it's not. It's not at all provided for under the additional international health regulations. So the international health regulations require that those measures be taken 
um, that that those measures be taken in a in a way that's aligned with international human rights. And there's certainly nothing within the international health regulations that allows countries to confiscate passports. Um, yeah. That's very much a personal document. Um, and and uh, quarantine in itself cannot just be done on it on someone because of their nationality. That's discrimination. It, there has to be um, a there has to be a sign, some sort of indication. And from what I've read in the Mauritius, there wasn't. Um, it was sort of a blanket quarantine of of of, of people with, of a certain nation of, of South Koreans. We we are pretty much troubling. out of time now, but I, I just wanted to make a final point just to offer the other side of this argument, just that when we have emerging epidemics or pandemics, I presume countries also need to have the freedom to even take authoritarian measures if necessary to protect their populations. Yeah. Yeah, that's the balancing act that the international health regulations does try to strike, Um, but to do so within reason, within science, because at the end of the day, um, protecting uh, the, the globe is the ultimate goal. And um, not and that and doing individual health measures won't help us all achieve that together. Well, I don't want to unnecessarily beat up on President Trump out of context, but the whole "Make America Great Again" philosophy has transferred yeah. itself into all sorts of protectionist areas, and, and we're probably seeing yeah. trade protectionism move into infection protectionism as well um, through this outbreak. Rujin yeah. Habibi, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Lawyer and international consultant at UNAIDS there. Let's also um, get on in a moment to the situation affecting children. Is that something that's really concerning you? Text us anytime on any of these issues, pound 1013 for 51 per message.